Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. So today for our, I guess this is our Christmas episode. It's going to come out a few days before Christmas. We don't have a Christmas gift guide, and we've done that in the past. We have a question that we're going to try and answer. What is the ideal focal length for a lens on a camera? Oh, well, that's easy. Uh, according to the internet, it's 50 millimeters. Thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> well, th that's not what the internet says, actually. <laughs> um, why, why would you say, why, what's the reasoning behind 50 millimeters? Okay, well, so from, from what I could tell, and I've heard this in multiple different ways, uh, that the focal length of a 50 millimeter lens is the closest to the focal length of your eyes. So the idea being that what you see just out, out of your skull, uh, when you're using a 50 millimeter lens, it approximates the same view and therefore I guess it's – it's more natural or that's more like what you're seeing so that you can record what you're seeing. There's a lot of logic in that. And historically, the 50 millimeter lens was the lens that you would get with a camera back in the film days with an interchangeable lens yeah. camera. And I think it's probably the best focal length to start with when you're working with a camera because it's close to the normal field of vision. And it allows you to look at the world, put the viewfinder up, and put those four lines around the frame of what you're seeing that matches what you've seen. There, there's less of an abstraction with a 50 millimeter lens than with other focal lengths. Now, I really like the 50 millimeter lens, or for us, Fujifilm, a 35 millimeter equivalent, or an, any APS-C camera. Yeah. And... Part of it is habit because I've been using it for so long. It was the first lens I ever had. Um, but part of it is I do like that true representation of reality. Because one thing the 50 millimeter lens doesn't do or doesn't do much is it doesn't distort reality, right? You take a, a, a very wide angle lens like a 28 and the edges are distorted, even though your camera might sort out that distortion, but you can see that things toward the edges aren't quite right. And with a 50 millimeter, you don't get that. Now we mentioned, I think in our last episode, if you've got a, a camera with a big enough sensor, you can crop in the center. So a lot of less issues around yeah. that. But the 50 millimeter gives you that ability to capture the world as you see it and to learn how to capture the world. Yes, I think that's all valid. I also think that my gut feeling is to just sort of ignore all that. Oh, oh ignore everything you see on the internet. <laughs> well, yes, there is that, definitely. <laughs> and, and by heaven's sakes, uh, ignore what podcasters tell you. I mean, that's, that's, that's going a step too far. <clears throat> but I've always, I don't know, I have this this almost physical reaction to things like that where somebody says, well, this is the best focal length because it's exactly what you see. And I don't know, it doesn't take into account that my eyes are moving all over and that what I see isn't necessarily what I want to capture. Like maybe I want to capture something wider. And so it, it, it's sort of like – and we'll, we'll reference our uh, – possibly my favorite episode title ever, 
the rule of turds, which is <laughs> the idea that that you know every frame has to be composed with a grid of of you know nine different quadrants and all that stuff. I don't know that. This ideal focal length just feels like that. It's been passed down from photographer to photographer. And while it's not bad, it just doesn't seem like it should be gospel. Am I just being too contrarian? Um, yes and no. I think <laughs> one thing we have to look back at is the history of photography. For a long time, most of the photographs that we would see were done with a 50 millimeter lens. And I'm not talking about those big cameras with the flash, right, from the 20s and the 30s. I'm talking about um, the, the early Leicas and all that. They generally had 50 millimeter lenses. So our view of the world was in 50 millimeters, whether we had a camera or not. Now, we've progressed a lot since then. I don't know when zoom lenses came around. It wasn't very early. It might have been in the 50s or 60s and didn't get popular until later. I don't know. We can, um, you can all look that up on Wikipedia. But this is the history of photography, right? When, when you're looking at photography, most photographers were using a 50 millimeter lens. Now, when that started changing, obviously, it was for various reasons. So I think the answer to the question is that there's no ideal focal length. But we're going to talk about three situations where there are ideal focal lengths because the ideal focal length is according to what you're shooting. Yes. And also I think it's it's where you are standing because with a Well, fixed, you can zoom with your feet. Well, well, yeah, yeah, totally. But like zooming with your feet is, is actually the point because there are some times when, you know, regardless of whether the 50 millimeter uh, represents what I see, if I'm shooting something – that I want to make sure that that I can see in that that smaller field of view that I that I'm targeting I need to move farther back or if I'm shooting portraits I need to you know be farther back if I'm shooting a 50 millimeter lens versus a 35 millimeter lens and so you know and, and that of course also brings up uh issues of distortion if you have you know like say a 35 millimeter and you're too close to somebody it's going to distort their face so it's not just well this matches what i'm seeing it's also this is where i'm standing and this is where i'm i'm framing the idea for this episode came a couple of weeks ago when there were some really interesting clouds outside my house. Now, uh, my desk is to the right of a window that looks out over a field. So to, to my left, I can see the field. I saw these clouds and they were interesting colors. So instead of taking my Leica with a 28 millimeter lens, I picked up my Fujifilm XE4, which had a 35 millimeter lens on. So the equivalent of a 50. And I opened my front door and I walked out to take the shot. And I was too close and I couldn't step back. And the thing is, I've been using the Leica now for more than a year, and I've been using that camera more than anything else. And I'm so used to that 28 millimeter field division that I was seeing what was out there and imagining how I would frame it. And I was unable to frame it in that 50 millimeter equivalent lens. That right there is key, especially if you're using something like that, that where you're only using that one focal length most of the time, then you are going to see everything in that way because that's that's what your your brain has been trained with the, the patterns of what you're looking at. Um, I do think it's funny that you said that you were taking pictures of clouds and you were too close, but I know what you meant. <laughs> the, 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 well, I wanted to get the expanse of the clouds over the field, right? Exactly. It, it yeah. wasn't like the clouds up in the sky. It was it was on the horizon. There was beautiful colors in the sunset, and I wanted to catch that, and I couldn't. And it kind of, I was kind of 
quizzical for a minute. Why is this happening? What's going wrong? And then I realized which lens I had on the camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about three different situations. One of them is going to be sort of street photography because A, street photography is popular, but B, when you're shooting family at home or in the park, that's kind of street photography. So people close up, right? Yeah. The second one is going to be portraits, which is a very specific, I would say deliberate type of, type of photography. It's not something you tend to improvise. Mm -hmm. And the third is landscape. So street photography is kind of easy. I would say that the ideal focal length is 35 millimeters because it's wide enough that it's not going to distort too much. Mm -hmm. But it's also wide enough you get a longer field of vision at the same f-stop as you would with a longer lens. And it's not as tight as a 50 where you can't get the whole family around the Christmas tree very easily. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, if we're talking about just street, what you want is is not only that slightly wider field of view, but in almost all cases, you want something that is small and portable. You're not going to be out there with a big – I mean even, even you know, some 50 millimeter primes can be pretty large if it's like an f1.4 or 1.2. Um, in most cases, you're going to have something that's that's compact and that you want to be able to – just have the flexibility of of movement, and so especially with street where you're you're catching things that are happening spontaneously, you're not there to try to figure out oh boy you know if only I had a fifty millimeter or a seventy millimeter on this to catch that person over there, that's when the advantage that that you have with the higher resolution camera comes into play because you can take that broad shot knowing that maybe you're going to crop down to you know a slightly smaller framing of that and still have the flexibility to do that 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 makes total sense just from street level and and as someone who I don't remember who was on this podcast when we were talking about street photography pointed out that if you have like a really long lens in street photography it looks creepy oh yeah like you're a paparazzo or something so you want something that is mm -hmm. restrained subtle in you know that doesn't stand out and i mean you've got the ultimate street photography camera don't you i do yeah the the fuji x100v uh super popular right now i think we mentioned this before uh strangely it's so popular that fuji has stopped taking orders while they fulfill the backlogs think about that for a non-smartphone camera mm -hmm. how long it's been since that happened I, I i know that there are some launches of specific camera models that takes a while to get stock but this has been out for more than a year i think the x100v yeah two years i think it came out in 2020 yeah it's so popular that they've stopped orders and if you've never seen the camera, look it up online. We'll put a link in the show notes. That little lens only sticks out about an inch. It's really an amazing little lens. And of course, you have the clown shoe type attachments you can put to extend the focal length and all. But that little lens is just wonderful. Um, on the flip side, the, the Leica Q2, either color or monochrome, it has a 28 millimeter lens, which is quite large. So it, not all wide angle lenses are small. Some are and some aren't. Mm -hmm. But I would say that your basic lens for – see, now here I'm going to say there is an ideal focal length. If you're <laughs> going on vacation, you're only carrying one lens or a, a camera with a fixed lens, get a 35 millimeter because you'll get people, you'll get the expanse of the landscape, you'll get close-ups when you're like – 
uh, on some Italian street and you want to catch the the images of the old buildings, right? You'll get all of that. The 35 is extremely flexible. Yeah, I think that having a broad view is always going to be better than having too narrow of a view because you're going to miss things. If you suddenly see something, you bring your camera to your eye and a 50 millimeter or a 70 millimeter is just too narrow of a field of view. And so the thing that you actually wanted is either too prominent or you don't get the context of the scene. All of those things uh, just just make that that sort of mid-range a lot better. As long as we're on Fujifilm, another good compromise is their 27 millimeter lens. So that is a 42 millimeter equivalent, very small pancake. Uh, back in the day when I had an Olympus camera, there's a 20 millimeter Panasonic. So the crop factor is two. So that would be the equivalent of a 40 millimeter, which is also a pancake. And uh, you can get pancake lenses between 30 and 40, depending on the brand. Um, so that's also a good compromise for street or close-up or vacation yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So the next step is portrait. And I don't do portraits, but you do. Uh, not You do some professional portraits, but it's not your main work. And I think portrait photography is very deliberate and very specific. Um, you tend to be still. You might use a tripod. You don't necessarily have to. But you really have to use a different focal length, don't you? Yeah, I think so. And as some of that too is because oftentimes you want separation between the subject and the background. Like, you know, maybe you're very deliberately going for when you have a wider lens, oftentimes the background is, is going to be more in focus even at, you know, say a, a high uh, aperture. But this also brings up something that we haven't talked about yet because we've been just talking about primes. We also need to take into consideration. See, I was zooms. saving that for the end. Oh, see, I was saving that for the end. Well, because I, I actually I, I think it works really well in terms of portraiture because I know that a, a lot of professional portrait photographers, you would think that maybe they would just want a fifty millimeter or a thirty-five millimeter because oh, I think more like an eighty or something because of because they want the background blur. Exactly, exactly. So so the having having. More of a telephoto definitely helps that. But also what I see is a lot of photographers who have like a 70 to 200 or maybe a, a you know, 50 to 135 so that they have that range because when they're shooting, I mean, you think it's like, okay, I'm the photographer and I have my subject here and the subject is just – maybe sitting or posing or, you know, moving a little bit. But obviously, you know, you're not shooting sports, you're not shooting street. And yet having the flexibility of being able to zoom in on, you know, just sort of a head and shoulders or their entire body or get some context, I think makes a huge difference because it's it's active and it's fluid. Whereas, you know, you're not just doing a a, a seated portrait session, right? Where somebody is just like against a background and you're doing well, headshots. Well, you, you might be. You might be, yeah. No, yeah. you might be doing that. Yeah. But if you think of like a fashion shoot, I would think photographers want to have more flexibility, sometimes the whole body, sometimes close-ups, uh, but they're going to be using a full-frame camera so they can crop anyway. When you see fashion shoots, when you see films of fashion shoots, the 
photographers are never that close, so it looks like they have longer lenses. Anyway, mm -hmm. you'd have to be really up close to a model with a 35-millimeter lens to get the kind of look that you get in a fashion shoot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a lot of them, yeah, yeah. I, I also think that just in terms of, of flexibility, again, like, like you as the photographer operating in this space, you're not going to be wanting to switch lenses a lot. I mean, if anything, you'll have a photographer who has multiple bodies uh, with, with different lenses because... Dude, if you're shooting fashion, you've got an assistant. Well, the assistant gives you the other camera. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. Actually, and, and, you know, stop me if I've told this story before, but um, a, a friend of mine uh, had a chance to meet Annie Leibovitz and was talking about cameras and, uh, you know, buffer speeds and things like that. And he, he asked her, you know, well, what do you do when, when your camera's buffer fills up? And she's like, well, my assistant just hands me another camera <laughs> and just, you know, boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. But so much of portrait photography is, is not just you as the photographer messing with your gear. Most of it is you interacting and, you know, asking the model to move or, you know, responding to them so that that's the focus and you don't need to think about, oh, geez, do I have the right prime on my camera? Well, I think most of our listeners probably don't do many portraits, but if you do need to do portraits for friends or family or people in your business, mm -hmm. think about using a longer lens, taking the time to get the lighting right. Use a tripod if you can. But anyway, I think that's another story. I wanted to pick the three different scenarios to show the difference of the focal length that could be appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Landscape. Now, this is an interesting one because there are two schools of thought. Oh, you want to have the zoom lens to get those distant mountains. Oh, you want to have the widest lens possible because you want to get the biggest expanse. I interviewed Bob Kohlbrenner, who's a landscape photographer, worked with Ansel Adams back in the day. And he was telling me how he has these really wide cameras that he really likes to use. He doesn't ever use telephotos because he's taking pictures of, of the California shore or the mountains and Yosemite and, and stuff like that. And landscape photography, you want to be immersed, don't you? You do. But it's sort of funny because uh, you can be just as immersed with a you know 100 to 400 millimeter zoom when you are, are zooming way into a, a detail. What I think is funny, looking back on our, our situations here, we've gone from having just the bare minimum amount of gear. So one camera, one lens, uh, oftentimes just a, a built into the camera. Portrait photography, we've got a few different options. You know, maybe you have like a zoom that's like a 70 to 200 and maybe another uh, another lens that's, you know, like, like a really nice prime. And now with landscape photography, we sort of have the whole bag because when I've shot landscape photos, um, one of the lenses that I own is a 12-millimeter uh, Zeiss lens. And, I mean, 12 is really, really wide. And there are some times when like you just want all of that expanse, but it's a lot. Yeah. And I I find actually that going back through some of my old photos, my my intention was I, I'm I'm going to get everything right, but you get everything, and then there's really nothing to focus on unless something spectacular was happening in the skies. 
And so, uh, you know, when I've gone on, uh, you know, landscape trips and workshops, I've rented a 100 to 400 millimeter lens because there are times when you absolutely do want to zoom in on different details. And so it's it sounds almost embarrassing because I go out on a landscape trip and my, my bag is full. I, I've got everything with me. Uh, you know, it's – it's not a situation where I am, say, you know, traveling and I only have two lenses. It's no, I've, what? I've got uh, what? We'll put a link in the show notes to the episode with the photo of all the gear you took on your trip <laughs> to Europe a few months ago. That that picture is just going to come back over and over and over again in our. <laughs> in that this is podcast. like I just can't imagine. I mean, that that would be everything <laughs> I took. I mean, that that would be my clothes and shoes and coats and everything what you took there. Uh, yeah, and I. Well, yeah. Go go listen to those episodes about lessons learned there. Uh, and, and so, if I were to to do the same thing for a landscape trip, I would actually need a, a wider lens to shoot it all from top down because I am bringing almost everything. Because I don't know if I'm going to be looking at you know a big epic uh, expanse like a mountain range or something, or if what's interesting is maybe you know, a, a, a peak or trees or, you know, a barn or something like that. So I find that to be the most flexible, but it's also me making sure that I have something that can transport me and I don't have to, you know, take all my gear and go hiking for several miles, which I've also done. It's just not as good. So what if you could just have one lens that covered everything, the one lens to rule them all? Now, uh, very early in Photoactive, I was the prime lens guy. And over the years, I've changed a lot. And while I loved the 28 millimeter on my Leica, on my Fujifilm, more often than not, I'm using the 16 to 80 zoom lens. So in 35 millimeter equivalent, that's what, 24 to 120. That's a big range. That's from comfortably wide, like 24 is okay. It's starting to get, you know, distorted wide to comfortably long. And that covers an awful lot of situations. I think when you go out shooting landscape and you have this big camera bag, you're worried about missing everything. If you don't have all the lenses, you might miss things and you'll miss that one great photo that you could never, ever get again. And maybe just having one lens on your camera and just accepting that you won't get every photo. That's the way to go. <laughs> You're filling me with so much anxiety right now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean go out into the landscape and bring just one lens? No. Um, no, no. That, that's, that's, that's totally valid. Well, didn't you say that when you went on your European trip, you took most of your photos with your Fujifilm X100V? Uh, no, actually, I, I did end up taking most of my photos – with the with the XT3, but I did take a, a good number of them on on some days when I just needed to be very small and portable. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, the XT3 is already small and portable, and I think I took my 18 to 135, and so that gave me like well, that's a big lens. That's a that's a fairly that's big not lens. Pocketable. It's not pocketable. No, yeah. no, no. It, it, I had it in a in a, like a sling bag, so it it worked in a sling bag. I didn't have to carry a backpack, which I didn't really want to do, just in general yeah, when you're um, traveling. Yeah, and also just you know to to not advertise the fact that hey, I'm a photographer. Um, 
Yeah. Although I, I must say when I was in France and Italy, I never felt that sort of stress, right? But there are also – I mean actually that lens brings up another point. There are travel lenses. Um, I think when we were talking to Scott Kelby, he was talking about um, like getting a – I want to say the range is like 18 to 300 or 50 to 300. So you have some some zooms that just have this massive range and especially if you have that on an APS-C camera, that you know makes it a little bit further. Uh, and so like, like that's good in terms of the flexibility. Like maybe I, I could just go out and shoot just with that. Um, and, and in fact, that's that's basically how I started with the 18 to 135. But then you're making some some compromises. You can't get a very wide aperture at the small end just because of, you know, it's got so many elements and there's so much distance that the light has to pass through to get to your sensor. Then you know, like it's a good all-around lens, but if you really want something with a nice soft background, you might not get it unless you are far away and zoomed way in and all of that. So I think especially for beginning photographers, something like that is really appealing because you really just want to buy a lens and I want a lens that can do everything. And that that absolutely works until you start playing around some more and realizing, you know, I actually just shoot at you know, around 50 millimeters anyway. So maybe I should get an inexpensive 50 millimeter prime. One of the problems with a zoom lens is it's too easy to zoom. And you end up just framing everything tight because you can, mm -hmm. rather than learning how to frame things and, and take advantage of negative space and all that. So, and that's another reason why maybe a 50 millimeter lens is good because you do have a constraint for, for a beginner to learn how to shoot photography. Later on, the zoom lens gives you more flexibility, but maybe sometimes too much flexibility to not make your photos as interesting as they could be. I also think that, no, I, I completely agree. I also think that having that experience helps you figure out what you're going to be more comfortable shooting with. So the, the the very first lens I bought was an 18 to 135 for a, a Nikon camera that I had. And the second lens I bought was a nifty 50, 50 millimeter that was, I want to say $150 or $200. And it, it was a great lens. And that helped me have the range to figure out what I'd like to shoot so that when I then started buying other lenses, I realized, like, for example, one of my favorite lenses that I use now is a 56 millimeter 1.4 made by Viltrox because I I like the 1.4. I like the soft background. I use that for portraits. And it's just that's where I found my comfort level. And then, and as we mentioned in a previous episode, I'm now seriously looking at the, the 35 to try that out. But um, – Another thing you can do, again, that we've mentioned on the, on the podcast, uh, go into your library and see where your images tend to be. If you have a zoom lens, see, you know, how many of them are around the 50 millimeter uh, range? How many are you, you – know, like are you shooting everything zoomed in? Maybe you want a 70 to 200, something like that. If you use Apple's Photos app, you can make smart albums 
uh, focal length is in the range X to Y, right? So 24 to 35, 35 to 40, et cetera. And you'll look at your photos and you'll see, as you said, which you shoot most. It's really quite interesting because you may have a lens that you really liked and realize that you've never used it. You may be surprised, particularly if you have uh, prime lenses. If you have a zoom lens, you also find the fact that you've used certain focal lengths more than others. Um, one one thing to be wary of is your iPhone photos might show up depending on the focal lengths, uh, because the iPhone has actually two focal lengths: the real focal length of the lens, and then the uh, what would you call it? The, the equivalent. 35 millimeter equivalent. Yeah. So, but it's, it's an interesting operation to do that in your, um, photos library. Can you do it in Lightroom as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that's worth trying if you do use a zoom lens to see what you actually like. Yeah. Um, I think we're really, we've achieved what we wanted, which is to say there's no answer to the question, (laughs) but I think it's an interesting question to discuss because depending on where you are in photography, if you're a beginner and you've just got one lens, it is really a good idea to learn that lens, especially if it's a 50 millimeter and then move on. And the, the pitfalls of using a zoom too much of trying to zoom in too much all the time. And or you could just use your iPhone. Well, of course, you have Zoom on the iPhone, and it's not even the same because we can't talk about focal lengths on the iPhone. The equivalent focal lengths are just so weird. Um, like you're going to have like a 1.78 millimeter focal length, which there's yeah. a yeah. You have to multiply it by 10 or something like that. So if anyone has any thoughts on this, do feel free to drop a comment on our Facebook page. Shall we move on to our snapshots? I think we shall. My snapshot today is a smart plug. Now, I have a HomeKit home and uh, I've had several different smart plugs that basically allow you to just turn electricity on and off and do it remotely. So this is a CASA Smart Plug Mini 15A and it's the Apple HomeKit version, which unfortunately is uh, $10 more than another option, which is, um, you know, for Alexa and all of those. It's a pack of four for uh, currently listed at forty dollars. I think it, it normally is uh, fifty dollars, um, and I, I may have gotten it on a slightly better sale. And what's good about this is I've had a number of different uh, smart plugs, and a few of them have started to stop working. And there was one company that just doesn't even support it anymore, and so it it was time. And the reason I picked these is because. If you use the app, you can set a timer for the plug so that it will turn itself off after a set amount of time. Strangely, this is something that Apple's home app does not allow you to do, which is really annoying. And so I have one connected to my espresso machine and A, (laughs) Kirk is laughing. Okay, hang on, hang on. So uh, uh, I have it connected to my espresso machine. Uh, So A, I can turn on the espresso machine and have it warm up while I'm still working because I I generally like turn it on and then have it, you know, warm up for about 10 minutes, right? And then the kicker here is after 30 minutes, it will shut off. And why this is important to me is because I realized that I turn on the espresso machine and I need to go and wait 10 minutes and I 
go back to work and I get involved in whatever I'm doing and I realize that it's been 45 minutes or an hour and I haven't gotten my coffee yet. And it's just there churning and burning electricity. And until I set this up so that it turns off after 30 minutes, I didn't realize how often I just lost track of time and I would come down and it would just be on. So I'm probably saving enough energy to offset the cost of that plug like over the course of a year easily. So uh, that plus the fact that uh, like for example, in my studio here, I have some LED lights uh, for when I'm you know doing Zoom calls, visible Zoom calls. And before I'd have to turn those on uh, manually and it just got to be such a pain. So now I just have them plugged into a strip and can do it remotely. So Now, I've got a couple of Eve Energy. Eve is a company, you may remember Elgato. Eve was born from Elgato, which is kind of split into two. The one side does gaming and live stream things, and the other one does these HomeKit things. And there are several things that are really useful. First of all, you can set something to go off after a certain amount of time. You can also roll a shortcut uh, using iOS or Mac OS. So you could make a shortcut with turn my plug on and in 10 minutes later, remind me to go make my coffee. Mm. Uh, sort of thing. So that would be really useful. The other use that I found interesting is that all these smart plugs will tell you how much power is being used. So when I got them, electricity is very expensive here in the UK. It's doubled in the past year. So when I got them, I went around and I tested a number of things to see what cost what. You put in your electric rate and you'll see how much it costs in real time or, you know, per week, per month, whatever. And it's really useful to find if you're bleeding electricity. For example, my TV room, I have my TV set, my Sonos Arc, my Sonos Sub, my Apple TV, and my CD player, all on standby. They only use nine watts, which is really nothing. And this like uh, allowed me to find, I don't have to worry about that, but maybe I have to worry about this one. So I totally second it. I think the Eve products are a lot better because they use Thread. Um, Thread uh, is what's becoming matter, is this sort of home automation mesh Wi-Fi, Bluetooth thing, and I'll put a link in the show notes for an article that I wrote about Thread explaining what it is. Um, It's it's really interesting in terms of home automation. Excellent. So what do you have this week? This is related to photography. This is a new set of Vim Vendors films on 22 Blu-ray discs. Um, It comes in a nice sort of, I guess it's like a a two-to-one aspect ratio book with two discs on each uh, hard page. Uh, It's all of his feature films. It's most of his short films. Many of them are restored in 4K, others restored in uh, HD. Vim Vendors is by far one of my absolute favorite filmmakers. I discovered his films in the late 1970s and did just some extraordinary films. You may know Paris, Texas, um, Wings of Desire, very well known. My favorite is Kings of the Road, which is a sort of a road movie that he made in the mid-70s. This just came out and I just got it delivered yesterday, in fact. Now, this is not available in the U.S. I'll put a link to Amazon UK in the show notes. This was actually made by a British company, so I don't know if an equivalent will be available in the U.S. I think his stuff is all available from the Criterion channel. 
Uh, so maybe if you have that, I wish we had that streaming service in the UK. We don't. It's only available in the US. So you can see his films in other ways, but I don't know how accessible the 4K versions are outside of this new set. So it's just called... So it's just called Vim Vendors, a Curzon collection. Curzon is a film distributing company. Lovely. So now I know what you're going to be doing over the holiday break. Yeah, I'm going to start watching tonight. That also reminds me, it is the holiday break. And so we are taking the next uh, scheduled episode off, which would have come out on the 6th. So our next uh, photoactive episode will be January 20th. So... While we're on hiatus, uh, we'd love to see the pictures that you take and uh, any, you know, comments, everything that you want to tell us or this is a really bad uh, lead up to just say, come to the Facebook page, uh, our Facebook group, Photoactive Facebook group, where uh, we do have discussions about photography and about episodes, but uh, we would love to see what you're shooting uh, and especially which focal lengths you're using. Mm. Do you agree with what we said? Don't know. Okay. So happy holidays, Jeff. Until next time. Happy holidays. Until the next year. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.